being inebriated only twice. Once in high school, when I threw red wine up on the shoes of a boy I liked, he drove me home, helped me up the stairs to my bedroom, muttered an awkward excuse to my mother, and disappeared from my life. And once in college, when I was convinced to try a beer funnel, I threw that up too. Tea is my stimulant of choice, and on a workday, I can go through a pot or two before noon, when I stop in order not to spend the night wide awake. I have never purchased drugs from a drug dealer. Whatever illegal substances I've ingested have been passed to me at a party or given to me by friends. When I decided to try the protocol, despite living in Berkeley, a place I'd always assumed to be the psychedelic capital of the world, I had no idea how one would go about buying the drug. Should I wander down to People's Park and hit up one of the dealers who ply their trade among the homeless teens? How would that go? Hey, lady, smoke, shake. Why, yes. Do you happen to have lysergic acid dithylamide? And do you take visa? Having dismissed the possibility of a street hand-to-hand, I found myself in yoga class one morning, staring at the grubby-footed young woman on the mat next to mine. Her sweat-stained Interstate 420 t-shirt was a good sign, but then I noticed the Tibetan mandala tattoo on her ankle. How can you trust someone who inscribes permanently on her body something specifically designed to symbolize the transitory nature of the material world? I couldn't buy drugs from an idiot, especially a dirty one. It then occurred to me that, like all middle-aged women in the Bay Area, I have a healthy supply of gay male friends, most, though by no means all of whom, are childless. Surely they still knew how to party? Or at least maybe knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew how to party? I started calling. Unfortunately, it turns out that the gay men of my acquaintance no longer jet around from one circuit party to the next, but instead spend their weekends in the same domestic torpor as I do. Binge-watching episodes of Orange is the New Black is the closest they get to criminality. My former stoner friends were similarly useless. The guy who used to grow hydroponic weed in his dorm room closet... He's the third-grade room parent, his only remaining allegiance to the counterculture, the Darwin Fish bumper sticker on his Prius. I was at a loss, so though Fadiman stresses the importance of discretion, I began tentatively bringing up the subject of microdosing in conversation. If the response was familiarity or even curiosity, or really anything other than befuddlement or disgust, I'd mention that I was looking for a reputable, or at least not entirely disreputable, source. After some time, an acquaintance told me that he had heard a story about an elderly professor who had been microdosing with LSD for years. He didn't know the professor's name or anything about him, but he said he'd pass a message along to the person who had told him about the professor. Maybe that person would reach out to the professor on my behalf. The entire tale had the ring of the apocryphal, and I had little faith that anything would result from this attenuated game of telephone with someone who I wasn't sure even existed. I continued my fruitless quest. I even momentarily considered trying to log on to the dark web— but since I am only marginally more technologically savvy than my mother, who has yet to figure out how to turn on her cell phone ringer, I realized that with my luck, I'd probably end up soliciting drugs directly from the DEA homepage. 
I only ever got as far as googling LSD and finding endlessly threaded message boards where eager seekers were told by more experienced keyboard shamans that when they were truly ready, the drug would come to them. Obviously, these guys were high. I gave up. About a week later, I received a message from my acquaintance. The possibly mythical professor was sympathetic to my predicament. Moreover, he was nearing the end of his life and no longer had use for his remaining LSD. He would send it to me. The story seemed preposterous. But two days later, I opened my mailbox to find a brown paper package covered in brightly colored stamps, many of them at least a decade old. The return address read, Lewis Carroll. Inside the package, wrapped in tissue, was a tiny cobalt blue bottle. On a scrap of white paper printed in sans...